0: well a couple weeks ago I saw on social media this this uh this trend that was kind of circulating. was this thread that was circulating about reliving a movie moment. A movie moment that you, maybe it was a life-changing movie moment or just something that just stood out to you as one of the best movie moments you've ever experienced. And and, and this thread was talking about which one would you like to relive as if it was the first time you ever saw it. And some of the ones that came on this thing, remembering like the shock or the emotional connect the tears that came from something tragic that you saw, or the surprise ending, laughing for the first time at something that you saw, some of the movies that were coming up. And I hope this isn't like a a spoiler alert, Avengers Endgame, spoiler alert for anybody. I mean, if you haven't seen it already, that's your fault. And let's just be honest. But remember when you watched Avengers Endgame for the first time and everybody came back and you're like, yes, and you wanted to like join them in the fight and you just, we so pumped! I mean, I almost stood up. I was so pumped in the movie theater. Or how about Star Wars Episode Five? Anybody remembering that? Again, spoiler alert, but way too much of a spoiler alert. But in Star Wars Episode Five, when Darth Vader says, "No, Luke, I am your father," and you're like, "What? How? How is this even possible?" Or how about in Six Sense? Anybody watched Six Sense? And you're like, this little kid, I see dead people. You're like, creepy, weird. And then you get to the, movie, uh, to the end of the movie and you're like, wait, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time? He didn't talk to a single person in the movie? I know he did So you rewatch it again, you know, just that, that feeling that you got. Or for me, I'm the nerd in the room. So Lord of the Rings, oh man, for me, it's Lord of the Rings. When in, in Two Towers when uh, Aragorn and the rest of the guys are all riding out to their death. You guys remember this? This is, this is just pulling on my heartstrings this morning. They're riding out to their death, and he remembers what Gandalf said in the middle of the battle. He, said, he remembers um, to look unto the east and that they will be coming down. He looks, and he sees Eomir. Yes, I'm a nerd, and I don't care. He sees Eomir. He sees the riders of Rohan. He sees Gandalf, and they come down. It's like, oh. Ah. And then they just defeat the orcs and it is just amazing, right? Incredible feeling. Or how about for the comedy lovers out there, Napoleon Dynamite, (laughs) laughing for the first time, like not knowing that it was going to be that funny and laughing at every single thing or for the romantics out there, a walk to remember, right? Right? Where he's standing on, she's standing on the two different sides of the states and she's in two places at once. You're like, you fulfilled a bucket list for her, oh my gosh. <laughs> I got to see for the first time again through my daughter's eyes Disneyland. She got to experience Disneyland for the first time this year for her second birthday. And I got to see that for the first time through her eyes and where she was seeing like these characters come to life like you're real. Like Mickey Mouse is real, you were on a TV screen, and now you're in front of my face. This is crazy. (laughs) Reliving a, a moment in your life. Do you guys remember the first time you were saved? The first time you realized the love of Jesus and how much it stretched for you? Do you remember the first time you realized when you were set free? The peace that you felt when the burden was lifted? The excitement you had to follow Jesus to turn away from the world and to follow him. The passion that you had to tell the people around you about the love of Jesus. I remember for me when I first got saved um, was when I was really little and I remember going over to my friend's house. It was a big like sleepover after like a baseball practice or something. We went over to my friend's house and we were all sitting under the bed with the lights and we we're reading these comics and I, and I was telling these kids that if they don't believe in Jesus that they're going to hell and his mom overhears me saying you're going to spend eternity in hell and his mom calls my mom is like your kid can't tell my kid he's going to hell and she's like sorry that's I mean the truth (laughs) not bad the passion you felt to tell the people around you about the love of Jesus this is how we became the church this is how we became the church but sometimes we can forget about how it all began. Somewhere along the way, we can forget about this beautiful moment that we had with Jesus. And remember from me, with me from last week, Pastor Derek, he defined for us what the church in our context of our series, the def- definition of the church in our context. He defined the church as the church is the community of Christ's people, which he calls into being in and around himself who live by faith in God's word and loving relationship with one another and as empowered witnesses for the gospel to the unbelieving world. The church is the community of Christ's people. Our identity in Christ is the most important thing about the church. We cannot be the church without the proper beginning and the proper foundation. We are birthed and built by Jesus. The church is not built by man, as Pastor Derek shared with us last week. The church is more than a building. It's more than Sundays. We are the church. Amen? I'm looking out right now. This is a building that we're gathering in, but I'm looking at the church in front of me right now. We are the church. This morning, as we continue in our Ecclesia series, I'm going to be talking about how do we become the community of Christ's people. Where did it begin? How did we begin this whole process? How did we become the community of Christ's people? I have four points for us this morning, if you're note takers, four points of how we become the community of Christ's people. Number one for us this morning, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. We become the community of Christ's people through a rebirth. In John chapter 3, what we're going to be reading this morning, early in the ministry of Jesus, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus visited Jesus in the middle of the night in secret to get to know this teacher or what they would call in the Bible a rabbi. They wanted, he wanted to get to know Jesus a little bit better. Being a Pharisee, Nicodemus was familiar with strictly following spiritual disciplines, devoting his life to following God. This was the obligation of the Pharisee. They precisely kept the law of Moses. They knew every detail. They knew how to keep it to the very uh, minute detail. But Nicodemus recognized that Jesus seemed to live in a way that was different than the rest of the Pharisees. And yet, the signs he performed could only be done by one who walked with God. As he was noticing Jesus, he was like, He doesn't live in the way that we all live. He doesn't obey the commands like we're obeying the commands. He's not as concerned about these specific things as we are. But yet, He's doing all these signs, wonders, and miracles that could only be done by God. What was the difference? What was the difference? And so Jesus' response to Nicodemus turned his world upside down. This is where we pick up our story in John chapter 3. I'm going to read through verse 21. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we all know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. I love that that Jesus says, you must be born again. I feel like that's a forgotten phrase in the church. You guys remember back in the day when you got saved and you were like, I am born again. I was born again on this day. This was when I was born again. I love that. And I feel like we've kind of forgotten that phrase and we've just simplified it to I'm, I was saved or um, "You know, I, I, I came to know the Lord at this time. But I love, I'm born again. I was born again. I think we should still use it. You know, being born again, it's a new way to be human, is what Jesus was talking about. There was a a physical birth, but there is now a spiritual birth, a rebirth, a new way to be human. Nicodemus was a disciple of the wrong rabbi, of the wrong teacher, and he needed a new way of living. He needed to be reborn, or as Jesus put it, born again. He needed a new way of living to enter the kingdom of heaven. He needed a new voice, uh, he needed new actions, he needed new disciplines, and he needed a new heart. It was a new way to be human. That spiritual birth is what he's talking about. And throughout the Old Testament, he's trying to remind Nicodemus, this is what you read in the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, starting in Genesis and, and, and beyond, the spirit of God was the source of new creation. The Spirit of God is the source of new creation, even beginning in, the, in Genesis. New life and new creation came from the Spirit of God. Jesus is reminding Nicodemus of this. You must be born again through the Spirit and become a new creation. You see, Nicodemus and the rest of, of the Pharisees who studied Scripture more than any other person, they missed it. They missed what the Bible was talking about. They missed what the Old Testament prophets were saying about a new birth that cleanses and renews. This is what the prophets were talking about from Ezekiel to Isaiah. All of these different prophets were talking about a new birth, a spiritual birth that cleanses and renews. There was an eschatological cleansing and renewal promised by the Old Testament prophets. But the Pharisees, they missed it. And we can miss it in the same exact way. We can miss it in the same way we've been walking with the Lord year after year. We began in the spirit, but now we think we can perfect it in the flesh. This is what Paul was talking about with the Galatians, that you began in the spirit, but now you're trying to make it perfect in the flesh. And we can miss it in the same way we've been walking with the Lord year after year, and we forget where we began. We forget that it was God who saved us, that we were born again into a new creation, a new creature, a new way of living with God. And so we sometimes get it wrong where we think that it's not about being born again anymore. And we miss this. We, it's not about being born again. Everybody can come into, into heaven. It doesn't matter what you believe in or it doesn't matter what, who you love or who you're following. Anybody can be. Um, it can go into heaven. And we miss it in the same way. Or we even evangelize in this way where sometimes we're so focused on the sin of somebody, so focused on the problem in somebody's life that we've missed the whole point that we just need to bring them to Jesus. Jesus is the one that will rebirth them and renew them and transform them. We don't have to worry about, oh, you gotta fix this, you gotta get this right, you gotta make yourself right before you get to the Lord and all of these kind of things. No, we evangelize by just bringing the love of Jesus to them. Just sharing the love of Jesus that we received ourselves and saying there is new life that comes from Jesus. We're born again first and God transforms us. Jesus continues to paint the picture for Nicodemus that to be born again, to become a new disciple, he needed to believe and follow a new teacher. And he says this, this is why he says in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This son, this Jesus is who you are supposed to follow now. You're supposed to be a disciple of him. Why? Because whoever believes in him should not perish but have. Have everlasting life new life begins with following a new master Jesus the Christ eternal life is received through discipleship to him um, which is what Nicodemus was always after this was the pursuit in obeying the law was eternal life but discipleship to Jesus starts by being born again it's not doing the different things that Nicodemus was trying to do it's a new birth to live in a new way But I feel like discipleship is also a term that has been forgotten, or at least it has strayed away from its intended purpose and its intended meaning. Remember with me what a disciple is. Contrary to common belief, the term disciple did not have its original origins in the New Testament, nor was it a practice created by Christian culture. Discipleship was a common Jewish religious practice, especially by the time of Jesus. Because of the the dispersion of the Jews after the destruction of the first temple, being exiled in Babylon, synagogues became the center of Jewish community culture. And as they were living in exile, they had to still try to follow the Lord, still trying to follow the covenant. And so synagogues became the center of Jewish community culture during exile. And rabbis or teachers, they took the role of interpreting the Torah and teaching the Jews on how to keep it. So upon listening to a specific rabbi under a specific synagogue, if a student um, took to their teaching, liked their teaching, liked the way they taught, liked their interpretation, and wanted to further their education, they could approach the rabbi and request to be his disciple. And once accepted, they followed their rabbi in close relationship with him. They would hear after them. They would observe them and they would try to imitate them as much as possible. Hearing, observing, and imitating. This was what the disciple was trying to do with his teacher. So he would follow after him. He would live as close as he could to him, moving into the same house as him and trying to become like his teacher. They would even try to talk in the same, using the same mannerisms, using the same different things as their teacher would and trying to be like their rabbi. Hearing what they would teach, observing how they would live. How would they get up in the morning? What would they do? What would they eat? How would they go to bed? How would they respond to different people? How would they teach in the synagogues? All of these things they would observe, and they would try to imitate and be just like the rabbi. Discipleship was a common way of life. But one of the differences with Jesus as a rabbi is he went out and he chose his disciples. He chose his disciples, remember with me in the Gospels, as he went out and he chose his own disciples. What the church has forgotten, and I say the church in general, and just especially the church in America, what we have forgotten is that we are born again as a new disciple. As a new disciple. To be a Christian is to be a disciple of Jesus. To follow after Jesus and to learn how to live like him. Becoming a disciple is what salvation is all about. This is what the four gospels are all about. They contain more than just the beautiful accounts of the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but even at the very heart of them, they teach us how to become like Jesus and to live like him. They teach us to be his disciples and to make, the, and to make disciples. As a disciple was supposed to observe the life of their rabbi, as they were supposed to walk with their rabbi, hear from them, observe them, and to imitate them. The disciples had a really unique position. The 12 disciples in the Gospels had a really unique position. They got to walk with Jesus. Well, what about the rest of us? What about the rest of the church? How do we get to observe and to imitate Jesus and to hear from him? Well, that's what the Gospels are all about. This is what the biographies of the Gospels are all about, As they penned every part of his life for us, and so we could walk with Jesus just as they walked with him. We could observe how he interacted with people and interacted with the world and sinners, and prostitutes, and tax collectors. We can see how he loved the people around him. We could see how he taught and try to imitate how he would teach and try to teach in the same way, using his words to teach others and to to tell people how to be a disciple of Jesus. We get to observe and to follow after our master as his disciple. Dallas Willard, in his book, Divine Conspiracy, he conveys the church's problem like this. Quote, Actual discipleship to Jesus is, in our day, no longer thought of as in any way essential to faith in him. It is regarded as a costly option, a spiritual luxury, or possibly even an evasion. Why bother with discipleship? It is widely thought, or for that matter, with a conversational relationship with God. Let's get on with what we have to do, end quote. We've degraded the greatest commission, making disciples as no longer essential to faith. We've we've lessened discipleship and being a disciple as no longer essential to faith is what Dallas Willard is talking about, but we've made it an extracurricular activity given to those who want to take their walk with Jesus a little further. We've lessened it to just a class. We've lessened it to just a book, to just a series of books. We've lessened it to just... You know, one-on-one talking with somebody. And all of those things are part of discipleship, but it is so much more than just that. It is who we are now. This is the new way of living is to be his disciple. This is what we were born again to do, to hear and observe and to imitate Jesus. It is more than just the, the lesson. It is more than just the book. It is being like our rabbi. We must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. This is what discipleship is all about. We're no longer who we once were. We're no longer following who we once followed. We no longer look the way we once looked. We don't talk the way we used to. Every day, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Born again to live in a new way, new way to be human. new life begins with following a new master, Jesus the Christ. But this is often where the story of the Christian ends. Often when we talk about being born again and about discipleship to Jesus, it is very often that this is where we close the book. Where, okay, we are born again, we got saved, we're no longer the old man, we're a new creation, and now I'm good. I'm going to go to church to live with Christians, and I got out of hell for free. Like, that's the ticket out, right? And we close the book, and we think that that's what life is all about is just being born again, but it is so much more. Being the church is more than just a new birth. In his book, True Spirituality, Francis Schaeffer put it like this, quote, In one way, the new birth is the most important thing in our spiritual lives because we are not Christians until we have come this way. But in another way, however, after one has become Christian, it must be minimized in that we should not always have our minds only on our new birth. The important thing after being born spiritually is to live. I love that. The important thing after being born spiritually is to live, end quote. Being the church is more than a new birth. Number two, this morning, our second point, you must abide in Jesus to continue to live and grow. You must abide in Jesus to continue to live and grow. Let's turn over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 1. Though being born again is the most important thing for the disciple because it is where we begin. We must move on to even greater things, to live in a new way unto Jesus. Discipleship thus becomes the most important thing to the Christian after one is born again. When one is born again, the disciple learns a whole new way of being human. Rebirth involves new practices, new speech, new disciplines. It involves a life completely transformed, no longer looking like the old self, but now looking more and more like who we're following, Jesus. Jesus. And as we spend time with him, he begins to see the areas that need to be renewed. And as we observe what he did, we can imitate his practices and his disciplines to become more like him. And this is what John 15 is talking about. In verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You know, we're not an institution. Pastor Derek talked about this last week. We're not an an institution. We're not born again to be a religious institution where all you do is receive and learn and just receive and learn. It is so much more than that. We are a living organism. We're a living organism. We live, we move, we breathe. We need food to live. We need the word of God as our food to live. We need water. We need the spirit to be poured upon us to live. We need to be connected to the vine, to Jesus in order to live. We need pruning. We need the father to prune us and to strip off all of the old ways, to take off the old man, all of the old things. And we need to bear fruit as the church of Jesus, amen? Fruit, though, this is the thing with with this um, specific illustration, is living in the desert in Las Vegas, it's really hard to kind of see what he's talking about here because everything just dies. You like water things over and over and it just keeps dying and you're like, what in the world is going on? But I'm from the Northwest and Northwest, you don't even have to water anything. You don't have to water your grass. It just things grow all the time. Literally weeds on the side of the road are blackberry bushes. Like on the side of the freeway, that's our weeds are blackberry bushes. Like, that's crazy. Uh, but I remember in, uh, uh, when my wife and I just moved a, a couple years ago, a couple years ago, excuse me, and in our old house, I had I, my my prized possession in my backyard was my lemon tree, and, it, and she grew great. She was awesome. Grew a lot of lemons for me, tons of, of fruit for me, and I, it, so much sometimes I didn't know what to do with it. and uh, But something that I, I noticed, because I like to... Um, One, I'm a procrastinator and things like that, but two, I like to let the fruit grow a little bit longer so they get more just ripe and they just become these huge pieces of lemon and it looks like a melon, you know, they're so big. But as I was doing that, I would forget sometimes some of the lemons that were growing on the tree and they would end up falling off the tree and they would crack open, they would become rotten and just wasted. And I feel like that is us when we just receive when we are learning from the Lord, when we're receiving his food, when we're receiving the word of God on Sundays or a Bible study or in life groups, we're receiving the word of God as our food. We're being pour- the spirit of God is being poured out on us like water. We're connected to the vine. We're connected to Jesus. He- the Father is pruning us and stripping off those old things, and we want to bear fruit, but sometimes we can keep the fruit in. Sometimes we can keep the fruit to ourselves and we're like, it's, it's not ripe yet. I'm not ready yet. It's not the right timing yet. I just need to wait a little bit longer. I, I, don't wanna, I can't pray for this person just yet. I haven't prayed that much in my life, so I, I don't know what I was going to say or what I'm going to say. I can't, I can't talk to my coworker because I just don't know if I'm ready yet. I don't know if I'm ready to say these things to them I don't know if I'm ready to open up my house yet for these people. I don't know if I'm ready and we hold these things in. And what begins to happen is the fruit that God wants to bear through us becomes rotten, becomes wasted. And we miss out on all of these amazing opportunities. Life with Jesus is the greatest joy that we can experience. Being born again was never meant to stay in that state. We are uh, are to continue to grow and to live with Jesus as new humans. With all the chaos in the world, we now have hope to live for. We have something that matters in our life. We have purpose once again. Our lives aren't meaningless any longer. And that's what I think was one of the hardest things about isolation and social distancing within the last couple years. I feel like that was one of the hardest things, is that we were cut off from something that was just a part of who we are. And I get why we did all of that. I'm not trying to say that it was wrong or anything like that. I think that there was, there was a lot of, of, of need for, for that. But there's a time now that we are in that we need to become the church again. There was a time where it was cut off, where we couldn't bear fruit the way that we were used to bearing fruit, and we were getting tired of just doing the same old thing. Guys, remember Zoom? Oh my gosh, the your mic is muted. Your mic is muted. Your, your. Your mic is mute. Turn on your mic. It's muted. It was just tiring, right? It was tiring to do these same things and feel like, man, is any, anything that I'm doing matter? And we isolated ourselves. We distanced from each other for health reasons and all of that. But it is time now to become the church again. We need to learn to live in community again and to reach our community again. I want to speak to those who are listening online. Maybe you're still living in fear and in doubt, and I want to tell you if there is a way for you, if there is a way for you in a a healthy way to get back here, we want you to be a part of our church again. It is time to be the church once again. And that's what I love about hearing these, these things about the LV Reach Center and what we're doing in Tijuana with our Awakened Crusades. Like the LV Reach Center, uh, we gave God glory for sure, but I think we can give him a little bit more glory than we gave just a few minutes ago. Let's give God the glory for that. The pastors, we got to go to the, the property and to pray over the property, and, and it was amazing. We got to meet one of the guys that, um, Pastor Brandon told us, one of the guys was the first guy, one of the guys that was praying with us, he was the first guy to come to their first Bible study on a Thursday night. And this guy, st- he got saved from this Bible study and is still now serving. He's now serving that community, his local community, and he is involved in LV Reach Center. Before we even got the certificate of occupancy, God was moving through the LV Reach Center. Isn't that amazing? And we have the opportunity to get involved ourselves, to reach out to our community, to reach people who are in need. Same with Tijuana, where we're doing our Awakened Crusade in Tijuana. You know, there was a time not too long ago where those borders were closed. Those borders were closed where we couldn't get in, we couldn't go reach these people, and now they're open. They're open for us to go to these areas, to go to these cities, to go to these towns, and to tell them about the love of Jesus, to remind them who they are in Jesus, and to say, there's a new way for you to live. You don't have to live like this anymore. God has a new purpose, a new way for you to be human. He wants you to be born again and to have joy to the fullest. Number three for us this morning, our third point for us this morning, you must be built on the rock of Jesus to thrive and to stand firm. You must be built on the rock of Jesus to thrive and to stand firm. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. Remember, Pastor Derek touching on this last week. The church is built on the rock of Jesus. He is our foundation. This is where we can stand firm. In uh, Matthew 16, verse 18, he read to us last week in our intro, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on Christ, the solid rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. We are to build on the rock of Jesus. He is our firm foundation. He is where we stand firm, and he is where we can continue to grow, continue to be built by him. We're not built on man's teaching. Any other foundation that we try to build on is unstable. Any other foundation that we try to build on is unstable. Man's teaching is unstable. It will always change. It will always alter. We, we are not to build on politics, certainly not. That is so unstable. We're not to build on other churches, To be, I wanna be like this church or we should be more like this church or more like that church. We should be doing these things what these churches are doing. It's close, but it is not a firm foundation. We shouldn't be built by pastors or on pastors, though they may be teaching what is good and that is what we want to hear is the word of God and hearing them rightfully divide the word of God. But if your foundation is on a pastor, it is unstable. I, I mean, even for myself, I wish I was good at building things but I've accepted that I'm not. I've got pictures that have holes. Every picture I've put up, there's holes all behind it because I'm terrible at building things. It's not my, my calling for sure. But we are not built on all of these things. All of these things are not stable enough to build foundations on. They're unstable and they're always changing. Just consider these things. They might even have elements of Jesus to them. It might be a really great political opinion or stance that you might have, it is unstable. It might be an amazing teaching that nobody has ever heard of before, it is unstable. It might be the greatest pastor you've ever heard in your life, unstable. might be the most amazing church that you've ever seen, you build your foundation on that, it is unstable. Our foundation has to be built on Jesus. And he is the one who builds us. We're not only built on him, but he is the one who builds us. The common thread through every king who failed Israel in the Old Testament was when they would worship other gods, when they wouldn't rid Israel of idolatry, and when they weren't faithful to the covenant. That was the problem of every king that failed Israel. Every bad king of Israel, they would worship other gods, they wouldn't rid Israel of idolatry, and they weren't faithful to the covenant. And then through church history, failure came when leaders began to trust in their own systems and stray away from the word of God. Began to build by themselves, trying to perfect in the flesh what began in the spirit, elevating traditions of man over God. And this is our failure. Our failure continues as the church when we build on anything but Jesus. We begin to crumble when anyone but Jesus builds us. We have to guard our hearts and protect what we allow into the walls of our hearts. And number four to close this morning. Number four this morning, you must live and move under your true identity. You must live and move under your true identity. Last scripture for us this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2. Flip over to the right. 1 Peter chapter 2. having a rightful identity in Christ the relationship upwards is built and established first before we beca- we can become the church we need a rightful a rightful identity and relationship upwards with Jesus. That's what the screen is, is kind of conveying here is that you see the, the beam going vertical, but the beam on the other side of it is, is, is a little bit blurry right now because we're gonna talk about that in a couple weeks with Pastor Alec. But for, for us this morning, what we need to do is that rightful identity in Christ must begin First. It starts with that that rightful relationship upwards is built and it is established when we operate under our true identity. We become the church. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 says, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, To you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Amen. We are living stones being built by Jesus as a spiritual house. Notice again, we're trying to be like Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone, and we are now living stones that are being built by him. Not just to be built, but to live, to worship, to tell others about his excellencies, and to see others step into his marvelous light as we once did. Our identity starts with being born again, a new life new creation, a new way to be human. We become disciples of Jesus and as we follow Jesus and imitate his life displayed for us in the gospels, we become more and more like him. We must abide in him and find our source to live and to grow. And as we do, we begin to bear fruit and operate as the church. Our identity is the most important foundation as the church. Without our proper identity, we cannot be the church. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, we're humbled. We're humbled that you would choose us. We're humbled God that you would choose us to be your disciples. And God, we want to live under our true identity. We're not disciples of of a church We're not disciples of an organization. We're not disciples of a pastor. We're not disciples of a leader. We're not disciples of a political party or a political leader. We're not disciples of a nation. We're not disciples of anything but Jesus Christ. And God, we want to live as your disciple. Help us, Lord, to be that. Help us to be the church, to bear fruit as you want us to bear fruit. God, I know that some of us have come in this morning and they have just grown weary in doing good. They've grown weary in doing good. I know some of us, God, have come in this morning thinking, is this what it's all about? Am I just supposed to go to church? Am I just supposed to sit in a sermon? Is that it? Lord, I pray that you would remind us of who we are. Remind us of the purpose in our life that you gave to us, Lord, when we were reborn. That, God, we are to live for you and to live with you Lord, that all of these things are part of that life with you. Church on Sundays is a part of that life with you. Life groups are a part of that life with you. Uh, Grow classes are a part of that life with you. The community of God is a part of that life with you. Reaching out to the community is a part of that life for you. Sharing with people around us about your love is a part of that life for you. And all of that, Lord, brings us, God, you fill us with your joy. Joy to the fullest when we're living in that. Forgive us, Lord, when we've gone astray, when we've walked away from that, when we've walked away from our identity and we've tried to perfect in the flesh what you have made perfect in your spirit. Help us, Lord. Lord, make us more like your son, Jesus. We don't want to carry any other image but him. Lord, as we operate in our identity, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us the joy of our salvation, the joy of life with you, the passion, the fervor, the excitement, Lord, that we had when we were first saved. God, I pray that as we come to church, Lord, that we would sit expecting to hear from you like we did the first time when we would sing that, we would sing these songs like they were the first time we ever sung them. When we told people about Jesus, it would be like the first time when we were saved, that excitement and passion. Living as if it was our last day. Restore the joy of our salvation, Lord. And for those, God, that have never put their trust and faith in you, I pray today would be the day that they are born again pray for a spiritual birth this morning or for those who have never walked with you, have never followed you, I pray that they would become born again and that you would fill them with your spirit. With their heads bowed and their eyes closed this morning, if that's you this morning, you've never been born again, you've never followed Jesus, and you want to do that today. You want to begin your life with Jesus. Receive his joy and his peace. To have the burden lifted. To, ha- to receive forgiveness for your sins. I want to lead you in a prayer this morning that begins your life with Jesus. If that's you, would you raise your hand if you want to be born again today? Raise your hand. I see your hand. Thank you for raising your hand. Awesome. I see your hand. Anybody else this morning? I see your hands in the back. Thank you for raising your hands tired of living on your own, tired of living without hope, without purpose. I see your hand. Thank you for raising your hand. You want to be born again. You want to be his disciple, to follow him. Anybody else this morning? Awesome. Well, right where you're sitting, I want to lead you in this prayer. And again, like I was just teaching, this prayer is not to me. It's not to this church. Your foundation doesn't begin with me, doesn't, is not built on me or this church. Your foundation is built on Jesus. Would this prayer be between you and God? Even though you're repeating after me, make this from your heart to the Lord. Repeat after me, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess that I've sinned against you. But this morning, I confess that I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me, I believe that he rose again on the third day, and that through faith in him, I am born again, I am your disciple. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. I surrender to you, I love you, and I give you my life, in Jesus' name, amen.